This is Arnie Heiskanen. My guest is Scott Lowe, a principal of Troner Consulting Services. We are going to talk about construction claims, how to manage them, and if there are ways to avoid them. Great to have you on the line, Scott. Thank you very much, Arnie. How did you become interested in helping clients with construction claims, and what does a claims analyst do? I got started, my my career got started overhauling nuclear-powered submarines here in the uh, United States, up in uh, New Hampshire, actually. Um, and the submarine I was uh, working on uh, had quite a few problems uh, developed during the course of its overhaul. Uh, we used the critical path method scheduling technique to uh, manage time and other aspects of the overhaul. And it was the CPM schedule, really, that showed the consequences of some of the problems and the delays that uh, the project experienced. When I got out of the Navy, uh, I ended up working for a firm called Troner Consulting Services. Uh, and their specialty, really, was dealing with um, the problems and the issues that con- owners and contractors face when disputes uh, develop on projects. And it just turned out that it was a good fit for me in terms of my uh, technical background, my um, uh, my analytical skills, my writing skills, communication skills. All those things came together really, uh, and and to help me uh, realize that you know helping people uh, resolve disputes on their projects and avoid those disputes is 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 is, is a is a great profession. Right. So uh, submarines and uh, buildings are not that different. <laughs> no, actually, they're not. And you know, the, you can that comes uh, uh, really uh, becomes really apparent when you start, um, you know, analyzing projects, and you realize that you know it, we're essentially talking about a, a series of activities that are linked logically, meaning that I can't really do one until I do the next. Um, and it's that connection that allows us to identify the critical path of work, the path of work that controls the project completion date, and also allows us to measure the delays along that path, since the only way to delay a project is to delay that critical path. Hmm. So claims analysts really analyze the schedule, they analyze the uh, the issues on the project, and they take a look at things like uh, manpower loading and productivity and costs, and tie that all together to develop a clear picture of how a particular issue may have affected the project. Right. So, uh, what are some of the most typical types of claims, and who are most often involved? Yeah, that's that's a great question because uh, you know if I was going to say the most absolutely the most common type of claim is a claim that relates to the appropriate or proper interpretation of a contract. Um, it, invariably, uh, despite our best efforts, really uh, miscommunication develops. People misunderstand what the contract. Requires, and uh, ultimately that can lead to uh, disagreements or arguments and disputes about uh, what the contractor owed the owner and what the owner was obligated to pay for that. Other issues that are pretty frequent, uh, but maybe not quite as frequent, relate to things like um, 
what we call differing site conditions, which is where the site conditions on the project differ from those that were depicted or in the contract or from what you would might otherwise have expected. And then other unexpected circumstances like weather and things like that can lead to disagreements between the parties as to you know, how those problems should be handled. Sounds familiar. Have you seen any um, change in the number or quality of claims over the years? Sure, absolutely. I, when I first started uh, evaluating claims and, and disputes on projects, you know, the, really the first, the, the, the first issue and the issue that I saw over and over again was that the parties to the claim were unable to resolve issues of time, resolve delays. In other words, there would be a delay to the project, and not only could they not determine who was responsible for the delay, when the owner was responsible, they couldn't determine what the appropriate time extension to provide the contractor might be. So, you know, since a claim is really an unresolved change or dispute, that became one of the things that the parties to the agreement couldn't resolve and thus became the source of many claims. And I'd say even to this day, 99% of the uh, claims and disputes that I get involved in, in trying to help people resolve uh, involve delays. Subsequent that to that, however, and over the years, another issue has uh, began uh, really to become more prominent in claims, and that is the issue of inefficiency. Uh, you know, making money in part uh, on a construction project has a lot to do with uh, using your resources efficiently and getting the most you possibly can out of every labor hour and out of every equipment hour. And if there's a problem on the project that keeps you from being as efficient as you would otherwise have been, then that can lead to substantial cost overruns. And over the years, contractors have done a better and better and better job of keeping track of their resources and how those resources are being used. And consequently, if an issue develops on a project that affects their productivity, they're much more likely and much more capable, frankly, of going to the owner and uh, proving that, in fact, the owner's change caused them to be inefficient. Scott, do you know of any scenario where the owner would bear most of the risk and responsibility to ensure that any claim submitted by a contractor would not have merit? I think that the, 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 the situation where uh, an owner can have a greater confidence that the contractor's claim does not have merit would be a situation where the, the owner, frankly, has turned a lot of the responsibility for the design over to the contractor on a design-build contract. Situations like that, you know, the owner will be able to uh, really push a lot of the responsibility that normally might have led to claims and disputes, i.e. The, de the design process, to the contract. However, the, the, the thing that every owner, I think, needs to recognize is they really cannot completely eliminate the risk that disputes will develop on a project. It's inevitable that disagreements will arise. And a key to avoiding claims and disputes on your project, or certainly avoiding claims on your project, is having dispute resolution mechanisms in place, systems in place in your contract and on your project that allow you to work through any disagreements you might have. All right. So you, you cannot avoid these things. So you have to be prepared in a way to, to systematically deal with these things. 
Is there any level of risk and responsibility that an owner should accept to avoid claims from a contractor? Well, I think that that you know that the level of risk and responsibility an owner takes on should be a function of the owner's capabilities. Um, for example, uh, you know, if it's a a sophisticated owner with a well-trained and well-established staff and a, and a proven set of contract documents um, and, you know, frankly, a history of success, and owners in that circumstance, and, and very often this would be owners that do a lot of their own construction or do a lot of construction, uh, highway construction agencies might be an example, uh, public agencies that build, uh, you know, office buildings for government agencies might be another example. Uh, you know, developers who have done a lot of development over the year, whether housing or commercial, you know, with an established staff of people, they can take on a lot more risk because they have the tools at hand to help them address that risk. So, for example, uh, they might be able to, uh, rather than use a general contractor, to uh, manage the work. They might be able to hire individual subcontractors and suppliers themselves and manage the overall operation uh, on their own. Much more risky for them because now they're in the role of really managing all these parts and pieces of the project and keeping track and making sure they all come together. but, you know, ultimately they could save the money that they would normally have expended on the general contractor for their markup and for their overhead to provide management services. The flip side to that might be uh, a, an owner or developer who r- rarely builds something and as a consequence might need a much more full service approach from their uh, contractor. For example, uh, perhaps it's a chemical company. Uh, we work for a a, a, a a company up in Canada that was building really a, a major addition to their one and only refinery. The last work they'd done on the refiner was refinery was 20 years previously. They didn't have a large or well-developed staff of people uh, either in the design or construction area. And as a consequence, they um, – they they reached out to a really a design build uh, uh, company to uh, both uh, design the project, uh, procure the equipment, and install the equipment and construct the project. So you know that was a lot less risky for the owner because much of the risk was shifted onto the back of the um, of the uh, uh, design build uh, contractor. So. You know the the level of risk is a, a is related to the level of expertise. All right. Uh, if we talk about architects and engineers, they normally instruct the contractor uh, to verify the information provided on plans and specifications. Why should they concern themselves with a claim from a contractor? <laughs> You know, I, I, and I, I often hear a line that sort of goes like this, and this comes a lot of times from owners. How did I own wrong? I, I hired a, an engineer and an architect to draw the, the plans and write the specifications, and I hired a contractor to build it. What did, what did I'm just, I'm just the money bags. I'm just paying the bills. How, how do I have any responsibility? Um, I think also many times, uh, 
architects and engineers make a lot of assumptions about, you know, a contractor's um, uh, expertise. And, and the truth of the matter is that a contractor is not the design consultant. The contract is not an architect. The contract is not an engineer. So engineers and architects that assume that a contractor who has nowhere near their expertise and nowhere near the amount of time that they have spent on the plans and specifications to expect that that uh, contractor to be able to identify deficiencies in the plans and specifications before they bid the work is is uh, probably uh, uh, a little too much too much confidence and and I think one way to look at that would be. Uh, at least here in the United States, the, the, there is a concept in, in the law, uh, and there's a distinction made between errors in the plans and specs that are obvious or patent and error, errors in the plans and specifications that are hidden or latent. And typically, in the United States at least, a contractor is held to be responsible for errors in the plans and specifications that are obvious. Hmm. Oh, they didn't prepare the plans and specs, but not deficiencies in the plans and specs that are hidden or latent. So uh, that the, the, the engineers and the architects' uh, perspective should be that if the error is obvious, well, then yes, a contractor should be expected to find it. But if it isn't, then really that burden falls back on the design, the owner and uh, because the owner has the contractor, uh, the relationship with the contractor, the contractual relationship with the contractor, and if then uh, the owner will turn around to the architect and engineer and expect them to, you know, foot some portion of the bill, arguing that they have failed to uh, perform as uh, the standard of the industry would demand. Well, perhaps you already partly answered this question, but. Whose responsibility is it to ensure that a project is constructible? <laughs> well, you know, again, it kind of this is a very specific example. I mean, in general, the uh, in, the the uh, contractor is responsible only for patent errors. The contractor, however, is an expert in how to construct things. So, you know, uh, in other words. Uh, uh, while while the uh, contractor is not an expert in um, in 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 design and not an expert in engineering, the contractor is an expert in construction. So there is a certain amount of expectation that when uh, the contractor is looking at a set of plans and specs, if they're not constructible. We would expect a contractor to recognize that. In other words, it should be a patent error. But uh, again, I'm going to refer here to uh, sort of uh, uh, American, American uh, contracting law. And in, in that situation, uh, the contractor is really not expected to know or be able to detect that a project is not constructible. I'll give you an example. We were working on a, a causeway project, a bridge causeway project, and uh, there were overhangs uh, uh, for the existing uh, causeway. Uh, and the the goal of the project was to widen the causeway, so they had to drive piles close to the adjacent piers 
well, in order to drive piles close to the adjacent piers, you would have literally have to drive a pile through the deck of the causeway, which obviously was not going to be allowed. So this project was physically not constructible. Uh, the, the question one might ask there is, well, yes, it's physically not constructible, but wasn't that, wouldn't that be obvious to any participant? Uh, the ultimate resolution of this was that uh, the design was revised uh, and the contractor was not held responsible for the error. But, uh, you know, the, 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 the question does arise perhaps more frequently when you're looking at the question of constructability. Well, how exactly, Mr. Contractor, did you expect to build this project? Uh, and that, so that might be an area where there's a little bit more exposure on the part of the contractor to the question of patent or latent obvious or hidden defects in the plans and specs. Okay, so, um, well, what, what are some of the ways to be more proactive so that you don't uh, end up in, in, in a dispute? I think that the, the question of claims uh, avoidance comes up pretty often. I mean, uh, many years ago, there was a, a, a state uh, agency here in the United States that um, uh, was split into districts, and at each district level, they had an attorney and an in-house claims analyst uh, working more or less full-time to address the claims and disputes that were coming in from contractors. At any one time, they might have had several hundred million dollars in outstanding claims and disputes that they were trying to resolve. And they realized that the resources they were devoting to uh, that effort were just really far in excess of what they should be. Um, so they uh, instituted a process they called partnering, uh, which ultimately was fairly widely adopted around the United States. And in this process, the objective was many-fold, but I, I think probably the single most important thing was uh, the, the agency tried very hard to put in place processes and procedures whereby problems would be re recognized early and they would be forwarded or advanced to the level within the organization that could resolve them quickly. So that the, the, the objective really was to recognize problems as quickly as one possibly could and then to move them to a place where they could be resolved quickly whether it be by change order or it be by agreement to, by the, on the contractor's part to per, that the work was not a change and, and then to proceed. Uh, you know, uh, surveys of this state uh, that followed up approximately a decade later showed that they had been able to reduce the number of claims and disputes by, you know, uh, 99%. Uh, they had no longer had attorneys and claims analysts in the individual districts uh, or really even the need at the, uh, at the central office level. The key here is going back to the definition of the claim that I gave early on, which is that a claim is an unresolved dispute. So how do we reduce the number of claims? Well, number one, we reduce the number of things we argue about, which means we really focus clearly on a good set of plans and specifications and, and uh, careful constructability and design reviews to make sure that we catch any mistakes before they go, the project goes out to bid or before it, we ask the contractor to give us a price. And the second is that we have processes and procedures in place on the project to ensure that 
disputes are timely recognized and that they we move to resolution as quickly as we possibly can. I, I often say sometimes, too, that we need to take what I would call a systems approach to uh, avoiding claims. What I mean by that is that we have to implement systems within our procurement process and our construction management process that recognize that claims exist, that work to uh, help us prevent those disputes. And uh, specifically, I mean, you know, good project scheduling, uh, some kind of partnering or uh, uh, issue escalation process, um, good contract language that's been vetted with the construction community, um, and then sort of uh, a good uh, dispute resolution process put in place, whether you use, I mean, we call them dispute review boards here. They're sort of an uh, impartial panel that's uh, put together early in the project to hear uh, and independently object objectively evaluate issues that are uh, as they arise on a project uh, and other tools and techniques that I think will help people really uh, avoid disputes. Well, that makes a lot of sense. But let's imagine that my firm is in a dispute or we anticipate that we'll be brought into a dispute. How do we know if and when we should hire a claims consultant? You know, that's that's a tough choice for many people because, you know, there's a little money investment that has to be made. But I would say this, you know, uh, virtually every claim that I see has a component of it that the project team simply did not have the skill to be able to evaluate. A, a common example I mentioned earlier was the question of delay. The project team, for whatever reason, simply does not have the tools or the knowledge to be able to sort through the delays on the project and determine why the project was late. So sometimes, and we, we oftentimes call this service real-time claim management in our firm, the idea is that you need to reach out to a claims consultant when you need that special expertise that will allow you to resolve a problem that you could not otherwise resolve. Now, you know, that to me is the proactive use of our services. Uh, but claims consultants are also brought on board oftentimes because the other side has brought on a claims consultant and there's a need to, you know, you don't want to have unrebutted expert testimony. So, you know, if this is headed for litigation, God forbid, uh, you know, you need to be able to make sure that your position is a solid one and you also need to be able to counter the arguments made by the experts hired by the other side. For me, though, the primary reason and to get a claims analyst involved is to get them involved uh, in the process so that you can help, they can help you resolve the differences with the other party and really avoid litigation and the sort of high cost portions of the dispute resolution process. Well, you shared a lot of interesting information with us today, but if my listeners would like to contact you directly, how can they do that? Really, the easiest way to get in touch with me is uh, via email, and my email address is scott, S-C-O-T-T, dot, low, L-O-W-E, at Troner Consulting, all one word, T-R-A-U-N-E-R, consulting.com. Thank you very much for your time and, and 
and I hope you'll, I, I guess you will not run out of work. <laughs> well, uh, unfortunately for some of my clients, although I would say that my whole industry, the whole business is moving more into onto the project, meaning that more and more owners are, are recognizing and contractors are recognizing that having our skills on the project as the project being built really sort of solves a lot of problems in the long run. Thank you, Scott. Thank you very much, Arnie. AEC-Business.com. Business inspiration for architects, engineers, and contractors.